0: The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com/give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode number 78.
1: Captain DeBridge, bridge. Spock here. Make myself. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk.
0: TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the Star Trek Discovery first season episode "Choose Your Pain." And joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Uh Folks, I want to encourage you to be to be sure to share the podcast with your friends, your Trekkie friends. I think they'd appreciate it the most. Your uh, friends who don't like Trek, maybe not. <laughs> But uh, especially as we're getting close to the new Star Trek Picard series, there's going to be a lot of interest in what people have to say about it, and I think we have a unique perspective coming at it as uh, from Catholics who have a, a particular perspective on the world. Uh, so we'd love to share what we have to say with a wider audience, and that we'd appreciate if you could help us reach more people that way. Uh, so we're talking about this uh, first season episode of Star Trek Discovery called "Choose Your Pain." It's the it's the uh, it was the fifth episode that was released uh, in that mm-hmm. season, and you know to give a a quick recap, uh, Captain Lorca is on a shuttle uh, after a quick mission, to somewhat to a starbase, and is captured by Klingons, where he encounters Harry Mudd and Ash Tyler, a s- apparently Starfleet lieutenant, <clears throat> and uh, we have repercussions that result. Yeah, we kind of
1: got to decide about how much spoilery we're going to be about a couple of things. One of them is Ash Tyler. The other Mm -hmm. is Captain Lorca's vision, because there are future reveals involving both Captain Lorca's unusual light sensitivity, which they really hammer in this episode and Ash Tyler's identity because, um, I don't know if we want to totally spoil those things right now, or let just well, people know there's a mystery, but keep leave the mysteries unresolved.
0: We've kind of spoiled the, we've referenced these these the the uh, the revelations about the both of these things in previous right. discussions yeah. of the first okay. season. So well, I, think-
2: it, it helps it, it helps too. I mean, we are talking about you know the first season, so this this is past spoiler time. You know, it's not like we're talking about a new episode that we know what's coming yeah. up later. Hmm. You know, it this is so if if you haven't. That, let this be your warning, if you're one of those that you don't like spoilers of two year old <laughs> TV series. Right. Sorry,
0: right? Yeah, you, you should not be listening to this if you, if you didn't want to be spoiled. Uh, so, yeah, I think I think with that also we add some value by being able to look back at these things, given what we knew about the rest of the season, right. and mm-hmm. add some value to it that way. So, I think I think we're safe in revealing that Ash Tyler is really a time traveling Captain Kirk. Uh,
1: yeah i mean exactly. you know that was such a huge reveal i mean people didn't expect him to peel off the face and have william shatner underneath yeah I mean, that I, was mind-blowing
0: some great <laughs> uh cgi on that but the, no yeah. just kidding
2: <laughs>
0: so this
2: episode that might have made the first season a lot more entertaining <laughs> if that actually did happen well especially it was
0: like an 80 plus year old uh, william shatner that would have been better mm-hmm. uh, so apparently the producers the you know the writers wanted this episode choose your Pain." To kind of show that although Kelpians are cautious, they're not cowardly,
1: paralyzed by fear. Right. Yeah.
0: Right. right. Paralyzed by cowardly, and you know that that or at least Saru isn't. That he has a, right. a bit of a backbone. Uh, so that was I thought that's interesting when you as we talk about this to kind of to to keep that in mind uh, because we have these two things that are happening in this episode. We have Lorca's imprisonment with Ash Tyler. But then we have this whole other thread of Saru, temporary captain, trying to get the spore drive online so they can go rescue Lorca. Uh, And there's this tension in between those things. They also, it's interesting, this was the first appearance of Harry Mudd in Discovery. Mm -hmm. So his first time in Star Trek since the original series. And -hmm. uh, and it's sort of an origin point for Harry Mudd. Uh, He's... In this, he's not the sort of um, happy-go-lucky swindler uh, dragging some beautiful women along behind him to marry off to some unsuspecting minors. There's a bit more sinister in Harry at this point.
1: And the seeds of who he will be in the original series are there. They even talk about his wife, Stella. And they give us backstory on Stella and why he's not with her and things like that.
0: So the episode starts off with a classic dream sequence. Uh, And it turns out that Burnham is having a nightmare. uh, She's alone on the ship. And
1: she sees herself in the spore reaction chamber thing in the place of the tardigrade being tortured like the tardigrade is tortured whenever Mm -hmm. they use the drive. Right. And I thought they missed an opportunity here, because one of the things they established from the second pilot of Star Trek onward is that humans have um, if it's not on Vulcan or Betazoid level but humans have a degree of ESP Mm. and I if I had been the writer for this episode I would have said that's what's happening in her dream that she's she's using her latent human uh ESP to tap into what the tardigrade is experiencing right Mm.
0: I mean I I just think it adds her conscience uh yeah it's that too but yeah but yeah that could have been an interesting thread to that the tardigrade Shows its sentience, its intelligence, which is a key aspect of the moral quandary in this right. episode. Is what is the tardigrade? Uh, is you know does it have uh, you know a is there a moral uh, a co- component to what they're doing to it in in here? Uh, and I, I do want to get into that uh, as we go along. But but that would be, that would have been interesting. But Burnham does feel responsible for the tardigrade is deteriorating; its health is deteriorating because they keep tapping into it to to do the. To do the uh, spore drive. The jumps. The jumps. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she has consulted with Culber, uh, who, by the way, at this point, we don't know anything about his relationship with Stamets, not until the very end of the episode uh, is that revealed. But uh, but she consults with him on the tardigrade's health. Uh, so it, it just um, it sets up the, the later conflict. Meanwhile, Lorca has taken a shuttle to a star base. And I'm... Uh, this is a part of the pre- of the premise of the whole premise of the story that kind of fails. Like, why did he take a shuttle? why th- Why didn't the ship take him to the starbase? I mean, it's not like they have problem traveling distances. They have mm-hmm. they have a spore drive. They could just go there in mm-hmm. an instant. It seemed it seemed like a, a a bit of a plot hole there.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, you uh, got you had to get the captain off the ship because obviously the Klingons aren't going to try right. to ambush a fully armed. Well, that would have created Federation a whole different ship set like of, that, right? Yeah.
0: So, yeah, and, and and somehow the Klingons knew he was on this ship, and that's never really established how they knew. I mean, we could just assume that they had spies or whatever, but, you know. Yeah,
1: or decrypted. I mean, it could be SIGINT. They could have decrypted communications or something. Right. But upshot of the meeting on the Starbase is Admiral Cornwell tells Lorca that it's an urgent priority. We need more spore drives, and for that we need more tardigrades. And Discovery needs to dial back its jumps because we don't want to we want to avoid taxing our prime asset during the war,
0: which is probably mm-hmm. why he took the shuttle. Actually, now that I think about it, mm-hmm. if they yeah. don't want him to keep jumping, then they would want him not to go there with the sport. OK, although they could have taken the whole ship again because the shuttle traveled Yeah, out, But, OK, you know, yeah. the, the only <laughs> thing I can
2: think of is, you know, later on in the, the se- or the season they have it where the Discovery is hiding. Right. For reasons, you know, there. I mean, the reason that fit the plot, but you know, strategic they, they reasons. It. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, so that, that, that kind of makes yeah. sense
1: that they would have it somewhere where it's out of sight, out of mind type of deal. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, in the uh, mess hall, there is a scene where Tilly comes to have lunch with Burnham and Burnham is so distracted by her tardigrade thoughts that Tilly thinks Burnham is breaking up with her to find new and better friends.
0: <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> so, so awkward. Oh, poor awkward Tilly. <laughs> So uh yeah there's, there's more interesting people on discovery I get it that's fine um no so uh, we we also get a, get treated to uh, a scene where Lorca is giving himself his eye treatments by poking himself in the eye with a needle
1: oh, Yeah
0: man. oh that was hard to watch um mm-hmm. they do that several times by the way in this series where they yes
1: <laughs> they really hit his eye thing heavy in this episode
0: Yeah but but even just like going for like in the second season we have a a, a couple times or at least once, where someone gets like a poke in the eye from the AI. Oh, uh, yeah, that was more. Um. It just
1: occurred to me, the device he uses, he's got this like rod that he sticks up to his eye, and mm-hmm. then it sends out an injector needle to administer anesthetic to his eye. Now, I've had eye surgery. And you know, because I had cataracts, and Mm -hmm. they don't use a needle to anesthetize your eye. They have other better ways of doing. Probably a spray. I Um, assume they've got something more like a spray or something like that, won't they? Yeah. Um, But the uh, since his thing is his retina, I guess the medicine has to get all the way to the back of the eye. But it just occurred to me that the thing he's using is kind of like a device that actually exists, Mm -hmm. not for your eye, but diabetics. Have a little device that is a rod that has a button and you push the button and it, it sticks out a needle so that you can do a blood test because apparently a lot of people don't like taking a finger sticker and just sticking themselves with it. But it's easier for them to push a button and have the sticker happen. It's spring loaded. And so yeah. I'm I'm guessing yeah, spring loaded. And so I I guess that it's the same logic here. Not many people would want to stick a needle in their eye voluntarily. No. So it's easier to put a little distance between you and the needle with this mechanism.
2: Oh, yeah. It's... So now that everybody's turned off because it's like
1: the most cringy <laughs> thing.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're all it's... steady you can't see us. All of us are sitting on the call, going, Ugh.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm not.
2: <laughs> so okay, two of the three are. Yeah.
0: yeah. So uh, Cornwall kind of confronts Burna um, Lorca about Burnham about the whole situation of Starfleet's first ever mutineer, which I, I, I still find that hard to believe that yeah. no one has ever mutinied in the history the of only, Starfleet.
2: The only thing I could think of is that she's the only currently living mut- mutineer. Guess. That's the only way that could make any sense whatsoever.
0: Yeah, although she doesn't say it like that, but yeah, I mean that's no, you're right. You're I right. mean it, it's just
2: it's because it, the the way the sentence is said, it's like that's impossible. I mean, yeah. At this point, Starfleet, you know, would have been what over
0: a hundred s- years,
2: something like well, that. Fr- from d- from Enterprise series, Enterprise to Discovery is what about a hundred years? Yeah.
1: So.
0: And
2: in
1: the original series, there was an incident where, oh, there's never been a mutiny on a Starfleet ship before. It's like, well, what about Michael Burnham? I know she's not canon yet. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's right. <laughs> oh, we all forgot about the Battle of the Binary Stars. Come on. <laughs> so uh, so Bur- uh, Lorca responds, you know, all oh, uh, Starfleet regulations give me the right to conscript virtually anyone in a time of war. Um, and-, and Cornwell's point is, look, having a mutineer serving on board your ship is a blow to morale you know people want her to be punished for what she did at the battle of binary stars which uh,
1: can we Uh, who needs to know about this discovery is a classified ship anyway how do you know who they've got on board
0: well what is it that burnham did so she disobeyed orders but she was right like the she disobeyed orders because she believed that the klingons were about to attack yes she's the one
2: that was blamed for the entire war she, right. You know, Because they, they did that, Uh, the episode where she's being on the shuttlecraft that ends up in Discovery, where it was yeah. all her fault. The entire war was her fault. She was but the the fall guy for it.
0: I get, and I get that. It just it doesn't make, it doesn't make logical sense within the, what actually happened, which is, yeah. she didn't actually, like, the Klingons caused the war. They They wanted to fight, and it would have been worse. It would have been, actually, I'm sorry, it would have been better if Burnham had been able to do what she wanted to do. Uh, and Vulcan ones? hello them. Right. Yeah. It, so it's um it's frustrating.
2: <laughs> now, only thing that would fit is I would argue that doing the Vulcan neck pinch to your captain and ordering a salvo of, of torpedoes to be launched is mutiny.
0: No, no, I get that. It's just the whole like <laughs> the whole uh, she's responsible for the war. I I and the battle of Boundary Restarts and, and all the people we lost. That part well, is is the uh, That's the problem.
2: setup that's the setup <laughs> the Michael Burnham feels bad about herself for half the season well, yeah. arc
1: and it's not unreasonable because whenever something bad happens bureaucracies find a fall guy and she's the yeah, fall guy
0: right you yep. can't have ca- uh, 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 captain giorgio giorgio be the, the 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 dead hero she's the dead hero she can't be the fall guy yep uh all right so the so lorca is on a shuttlecraft heading back to discovery ambushed by a d7 battlecruiser the klingon battlecruiser um they get knocked out the pilots killed lorca is uh, taken by Laurel, who showed up and she recognizes him, and uh, they take him into the Klingon ship. And then Saru gets a communication from Cornwell, who puts him in charge. He's the acting captain, and his his duty is to find Lorca. So that's we've sort of set things up here. This is the this is the the trigger for the rest of the plot. So Saru mm-hmm. rules out all discussion of using the tardigrade, uh, Burnham's concerns about what they're doing to the tardigrade until the captain right. is rescued, which, of course, is a bad idea. You know, this is going to cause problems. Uh, we know that as the as the yeah.
1: audience. Just to be clear, he refuses to consider her objections to using the tardigrade. It's like, we're going to use this creature to get the captain back. I don't care.
0: Right. Um. And, and there are moral issues that, that yeah. burden uh, keeps bringing up, which is the tardigrade is not just a dumb animal. It's, well, which, which by well, the way... The whole-
1: that's in dispute.
0: Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. She contends that it has that it has sentient um that there's some hints at that, that it's sentient, that there's more than just uh, a dumb animal. Which I you would think Saru would be sympathetic to given the Kelpians' relationship to their uh The Baul. The Baul, right. Um which is kind of interesting. And this idea of I don't care if we have to kill this person, perhaps or this intelligent creature uh, in order to get the captain back. and that's
1: They really should have set this up a little better because they haven't given us any evidence that this thing is is, is intelligent. Right. Um, what they should have done is had a scene where it's like, look at the scans of its brain. It's got mm-hmm. a massive frontal cortex. That's mm-hmm. a sign that it's intelligent, even if it's an intelligence that doesn't operate in a way that is obvious to us. And then the rejoinder would be, but it's also navigating this huge, massive mycelial network across the galaxy. Maybe it needs the big frontal cortex just to do that, and it's not really a sign that right. it's intelligent. It's yeah, just they, a really good navigator. They, right. So far, all they've shown
2: is that it's basically a big dog.
0: Right. It can find
2: food. Yeah. It can hurt. You know, can be can be hurt. It can get angry. Can attack. But as far as an actual, you know, that's all instinct.
0: Right. And later on, when they actually do go to jump into, you know, in the, the, use the spore drive, the tardigrade goes into this survival mode where it ejects all the water in its body, which is kind of weird, you know, weird,
1: and curls up into this little ball. Oh, you know what also would have been good? Because then they could have brought in the ESP, too, and Bernard yeah. could say, and I think it reached out to me telepathically, and I think exactly. that's ESP, and then right. the rejoinder would be, but ESP is unreliable in humans, so that's, it could just be your imagination. Right. So you could add really nice ambiguity there about is it intelligent or not, but they just blew past all that and said it may be intelligent, we have some signs of that, but they didn't explore well, it.
2: this is still the point in Discovery where there was no subtlety at all. I <laughs> right. mean, it, right. Let's be yeah. honest. The, the first, you know, and I know we've talked about it before, but the first half of the first season of Discovery is very different than what we got, especially in the second The second half second season. or in the second, second season. Second half yeah. of the first season and definitely throughout the second season. I mean, and this, yeah. this is where, of course, a lot of Star Trek fans were turned off from Discovery was because of the lack of subtlety and some of the stuff they did at this point in the series.
0: Right, right. So at that point, where where the tardigrade is, you know, goes into survival mode, you know, Saru. That's where Saru says, um, "I don't care if we're going to kill it. Uh, I have one hundred and thirty-four souls to worry about." Even though they've basically told them, "You may be committing murder in order to do this," mm-hmm. and so. That's what he would i mean we we kind of establish that the thing is intelligent later i mean that that's a that's a big deal do we uh i think i think as it's as it's released i mean I, I, well especially in the second season when we have that encounter in the mycelial network where we recover culber uh from mm-hmm. you know from the dead uh we we establish that it has some level of intelligence
1: the tardigrade D- don't we no, I don't think so. We never see the tardigrade again after this episode. Not until the animated series that's coming up, or the Ephraim and Dot animated yep. short track.
0: Oh, we only see the spores, and the spores have intelligence, as right. yeah. evidenced by. Okay, oh right, right. I thought we had. Oh well, in any case, um, I I, I it feels like that Saru has some situational ethics here which make him not much better than Burnham was, that he
1: They needed to fix it. It could have been fixed on the dialogue level. I mean, he, all he had to say is, I'm not convinced that this thing is alive. It is intelligent. I don't think it is. Mm. Yep. I so think is- this is an animal, and I think you're putting human life, uh, you're putting animal life over human life, and um, right. I'm not going to do that. Well, and there's even the, the conversation of where, where Burnham admits when she's talking to Culber,
2: I'm probably anthropomorphizing him. I'm probably, you know, making him human. the the, the tardigrade. And then, of course, they go, well, but there's there's intelligence, and then they do the whole thing about, but it could have an
1: intelligence and all that.
0: Right. So, so um, at least they
2: admit that.
1: (laughs) So, so Saru pulls up a list uh, after Burnham's gone, he pulls up a list of the most decorated captains and asks for their common characteristics and then asks the computer to evaluate him going forward by how well he matches up to those characteristics. And The computer has an alternative suggestion. Uh, The computer asks why he wants to do this, and he says, well, there's a destructive element that's causing me to second-guess myself. And the computer says, alternative suggestion, eliminate destructive element. And he says, not an option. So that tells us Michael's the destructive element that's making (laughs) him second-guess himself. Right. He can't eliminate Michael.
0: The list is interesting because uh, it's a, a list of Starfleet's most decorated captains. Robert April... Jonathan Archer, Matthew Decker, Philippa Giorgio, Christopher Pike, all of them names we know. I mean, yeah, they right. should have
1: put in a few names we didn't
0: know. Right. Three of them are captains of ships named Enterprise. I mean, that's a little mm-hmm. bit on the nose.
1: Two two of them are
2: captains of the same Enterprise.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it, it would have it been. I mean, I know they're doing some fan service there, but it would have been. Yeah, More put believable.
2: in a few ones we've never heard of for the future, right? Well, that's that's where they could go through like the production crew list and just you know pick some random guy and throw his name on the list just because, <laughs>
0: just because. Yeah. Uh, so back to the Klingon ship. Uh, Lorca is in the this uh, cell. Encounters Harry Mud. Why is Harry Mud on this Klingon ship? He tells a story about falling in love with Stella and running from his creditors.
1: Non-traditional lenders,
0: <laughs> <Yes>. i.e., <laughs> loan sharks. Loan sharks, yes. Until he gets caught by the Klingons, uh, and then a Klingon guard comes in and says, "Choose your pain." And Mud points at this like semi-catatonic cellmate on the other side. So the Kling- which the Klingons then beat up and kill. And Mud says that the- they make prisoners choose to either accept the beating or pass it on to a cellmate. Um, which and
1: this is a klingon tactic to keep them from bonding. Right. And I'm going this could really backfire on you big time because if one of the guys always chooses himself to get the pain, that's going to make him really trustworthy to the other people. That would yeah. increase the bonding.
0: Well, exactly. what if, well, they'd probably kill him after the second time. But but what mm-hmm. if like both if there's two prisoners in there and they point at each other?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, well, I that's, think that's why they, they picked pick one out. Pick they would one, pick one out.
1: Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, they pick one guy and make him choose.
2: Oh, okay. Now, okay I, I, yeah. One thing I, I wasn't sure about the 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 star, the random Starfleet guy was not Ash Tyler. That was yeah. some no. other Starfleet guy. That's what I yeah. thought. It yeah. was just some poor, unfortunate smuck that some red shirt basically. Basically, and a red we shirt, never yeah. see him again. So he may have died as a result of his being. Yeah. He was yeah. pretty well beaten up to begin with, so understandable. Yeah. yeah.
1: What they could do is say you. Would choose your pain means pick someone, but it's not you. Right. In which case, it, who, whoever you pick knows, even if it was random, I'm still being hurt because of this guy. And yes. that would undermine trust.
0: In fact, that right. is a tactic that was used in, I think it was either World War II by the Japanese or in the Vietnam War. I'm trying to remember now, where they, it was designed to have prisoners not trust each other to, to, create conflict among them so that it's not turned against the jailers uh, uh together so it's 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 not an unknown tactic mud recognizes lorca as as a survivor like you're a survivor just like me and what is it about lorca that he recognizes
2: he knows who lorca is because later on in the the episode he t- tells all about lorca leaving the ship and all that and leaving his crew to die and
0: okay he left the, i the, think he
2: recognizes lorca as what it is
0: Lorca's cover story the the original lorca that actually right. comes up because he says um and in fact let's talk about it now he recognizes that um
1: uh he's the captain of the baron which That's is right. a lost lost vessel and he was the only survivor and lorca says that and so he's he's trying to make lorca i guess feel guilty for being the only survivor And abandoning his crew and Lorca turns the tables on him and says, no, I blew up my crew because they were going to be captured by Klingons and I wanted to save them from that fate. So in essence, like in Vietnam, he burned the village in order to save it. Well, but I'm going whether you were the last survivor and whether you blew up your own crew or not, how did you get command of a super classified science vessel like Discovery?
0: Well, exactly. and, And it turns out that it that actually he didn't actually survive that. That the real Ber- well, Lorca
1: died. Maybe. Maybe he just fell into the mirror universe.
0: The real Lorca?
1: The real Lorca. Yeah, we yeah. don't have a body, so he could totally be alive.
0: Uh, yeah, they um, could bring him back. Yeah.
1: But as far as Starfleet con- is concerned, he- yeah. they think they've got the real Lorca. Mm-hmm. And why would you give someone you believe to be the real Lorca command of something like Discovery or any command when
0: he's lost a ship?
1: Yeah, I mean, like I can this. see, and he, especially yeah. if he's saying, "I blew up my own crew rather than try to save them,"
0: right? Or maybe he didn't. Maybe he didn't tell Starfleet that he blew it up himself. Maybe he let Starfleet think that uh, the the Klingons killed him, and he just survived on a lark. But, but yeah, you're, he you're right. He shouldn't be the telling idea, Harry Mudd. Yeah, the the uh, the likelihood of him being given discovery is low. Mud. Uh, this is where Mudd says, "Confession is good for the soul." Too bad none of us have one anymore. He, he says, <laughs> yeah. to, says to them.
1: Father, can you speak from your military experience to the likelihood of someone who's lost a ship getting a new command in, I I think it would like depend this? on the
2: context. You know, obviously, if you're talking in the middle of a war and it was something beyond your control, that's mm-hmm. one thing. Yeah. Um, you know, of course, I, I never, first of all, I never served on a ship because I was Air Force. Right. I served on military right. base, but I was also not not in in a situation where that would be a, it would happen anyways. But. It just my my instinct would be if it was something, and and frankly, depending on the context, the person might actually be if if it was done in an honorable way, might even be given promotion because of it. You know, right. if, again, can't beca- depending on when it happened, what happened, what happened in the context of it, all that kind of stuff. You know, so but I that being said, I can't see um, if a, a a captain of a, a naval. Naval ship blew up the ship instead of letting the 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 Germans invade the ship. I can't see that going well for the captain at all.
0: Right, hmm. right. So back on on Discovery, uh Burnham and Culber are going to Stamets now to to talk about the, the uh the tardigrade problem. And Culber tells tells uh, Burnham, well, he doesn't. Stamets doesn't does ever doesn't ever listen to me anyway. So why why should you know? I'm not going to bother. I'm like. Aren't they married? Isn't that going to be revealed later on that they're married? Uh, I guess you know, very strange well, relationship.
1: Yeah, I had forgotten they hadn't revealed that yet, and I just assume it's just part of their relationship. I mean, yeah. you can I, I, you, in a in a normal marriage, you can easily have moments where one spouse says, "Oh, my my husband never li- or my wife never listens to me."
0: That's true. That's true. Uh, Stamets it says the tardigrade problem is Burnham's fault, not his. It's not his problem to deal with because she introduced the tardigrade into the system. Never mind the fact that the system wasn't working until she introduced the tardigrade, but that's Stamets. He's a bit self-centered still at this point. Um, now, Lorica finds Ash Tyler, who is hiding in a dark corner of the cell, apparently. It must be a very big cell. And uh, he thinks that Tyler it must be a liar because he, survived, he says he survived as a prisoner for seven months. Tyler says it's because Laurel took a liking to him but he doesn't remember who he is at this point, right? His mind is right. It, 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 it he, been thinks he's, he's,
1: he thinks he's he uh, he thinks he's Sharon Valeri from Capr- from Caprica. Um, <laughs>
0: right. uh, okay, so the uh, Battlestar Galactica reference. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and Mud is angry at Starfleet for starting the war. Like he, th- this is he. He kind of goes off on a on a rant about Starfleet. This is all Starfleet's fault.
1: I thought this was actually very nice uh, Mm -hmm. because Mudd says you high and mighty Starfleet guys, you know, are flying around in your ships and you never look out and see how many of us little guys there are below you. Um, But us little guys are sick and tired of getting caught in Starfleet's crossfire. And that's something that actually in any war that's very dangerous or that goes on long enough, you will have the population start questioning it and saying we're sick of this war and you know yeah. someone got us into it and and it was over aggressive military or whatever but s- the public will get tired of wars and start questioning them in this way and I thought that was realistic this would happen yeah. in this century too people are not going to automatically assume everything starfleet does is the right decision well, you right? mentioned the vietnam war and that's of a-
2: very key yeah. thing that a lot of people know and remember that there right. was a lot of uprisings, and I, I'd even argue to this day there are people who are very disappointed on how our military is being used. That's a political discussion off of this, <laughs> right. but it's it's yeah. something that is a, a dynamic today as well. Well,
1: and it happened in the Civil War, and it happened to varying degrees even in World War II, which was by other standards a popular war, but people got
0: war weary. This is Dom Bettinelli, CEO of SQPN, with a special message. The StarQuest Network is fulfilling its mission to explore the intersection of faith and pop culture. And in the past year, we've reached stunning new heights. Our programs are reaching broad new audiences with a message that helps us discern good entertainment, make sense of the world, and share the gospel with others. We continue to launch new shows and bring back great shows. We just relaunched Secrets of Star Wars, which comes at the perfect moment to capture the excitement over the new show, The Mandalorian, and the climax of the new Star Wars movies. The support of our audience is vital to this work and has helped us grow closer to meeting our financial obligations. For that, we are very grateful. But we still need to close the gap. Every new gift extends our deadline, but until we eliminate our deficits, the future of StarQuest and your favorite shows remain in question. This is why it's crucial we hear from you this Advent and Christmas, the time when nonprofits receive most of their support for the year. If you're already a supporter of StarQuest, we are very grateful and we ask you to prayerfully consider Increasing your support at this time. If you are not yet a supporter, please become one now. We urgently need your help, and every gift counts. Could you give $15 or even just $10 per month? That lets us provide more than 40 hours of professionally produced shows with compelling content. We have special thank you gifts for donors at several giving levels. If you are a business owner or just want to provide a leadership level of support, we now have a special giving level for sponsors, like in public broadcasting. For $500 per month, you or your business can sponsor one of the shows on our network. Listeners will hear a message in every episode thanking you for your sponsorship and giving your website. We'll also have your name and link on the SQPN webpage and in the show notes of every episode during your sponsorship. Whatever level of support you can offer, whether large or small, please show your support for SQPN this Christmas, and remember that your gifts are tax-deductible. Just go to sqpn.com give. That's SQPN slash give. And may God bless you and yours as we approach the celebration of our Lord's birth. Shifting back to discovery, we have a, a tardigrade exposition lesson, That's what I called it. We we spend a lot yeah. of time talking about how the tardigrade works and the problem of the spore drive and ripper, that's what they named the tardigrade. Um, yep. And we're told it can travel the mycelial network because it does a horizontal DNA transfer from the spore plant which acts like a key to open the network. I mean, honestly, I find most of this magic.
1: Oh. Yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay, because I I found it interesting because horizontal gene transfer is a real thing.
0: No, no, Mm -hmm. that part is, I, I, I don't have a problem with it, but you go ahead, yeah.
1: Well, so the idea is it picks up DNA from the mycelial network itself and incorporates it into its own genome, and then it uses that to navigate the network. And this is similar to how horizontal gene transfer works in real life, where you have two closely related organisms. One of them borrows DNA from the other and incorporates it into its own genome. And that gives it certain advantages. It's able to ape certain things of the organism it got it from. And this uh, happens with humans. I mean, when we get sick with a virus, we can incorporate that virus into our own personal genome and then it helps give us immunity to that virus in the future. And in fact, the DNA of basically every higher life form is littered with viruses that our ancestors got in the past that give us immunity <clears throat> to those viruses. Right.
0: No, I'm sorry. It, it wasn't that part. That it was magic. I think it was like the whole mycelial network thing. Like the idea that uh, we travel the like the interdimensional roots of mushrooms. Through the galaxy. Yeah. This, well, this particular yeah.
2: type of mushroom has mycelial mycelial roots
1: that go throughout all of creation.
0: Yeah, through yeah. dimensions. It's just a little hard to... And they it.
1: hang a lantern on that. I mean, yeah. eventually we're going to meet Janet Reno and she's going to like, I want mushrooms <laughs> on my pizza, dude.
0: <laughs> right, right. Yeah. They do. <laughs> uh, and then we get um, Star Trek's, Star, uh, or at least TV series Star Trek's, but it might be also all of Star Trek's first F-bomb. Uh, where Tilly, which was literally it.
2: thrown in there just to say, "Look at how cool we are," because we can now use f bombs in Star Trek.
1: Yes. Yeah,
0: yeah, it, it's unfortunate. I'm sorry, but yeah. I mean, yep. I, I'm not. I'm no shrinking violet. I watch movies with with curse words. Like you know, I get that, but
1: it's just it breaks the form here.
0: It does, and it just it, it's it's obviously done. Like Father Corey said, obviously done because we can.
2: See, we're cool. We're edgy. We have
0: yeah.
1: swear words now.
0: <laughs> right, right. So, I mean, it's whatever, but it's not the end of the world, but it's it's unfortunate.
1: I don't know if y'all have ever seen Red vs. Blue. Yes. YouTube channel. It's a Machinima. That series, it started as a comedy series, but in the first season of Red vs. Blue, they have some cuss words. And then in the second season of Red vs. Blue, they start dropping the cuss words. And if you listen to the commentary on the compiled second season where they made it all one movie. It was apparently recorded at the time and they're they're so happy. The creators are so happy about the fact we discover we totally don't need these cuss words and we can still tell the good effective stories without them and so forth. And they're, it makes it more family friendly and they're all excited about that. Well, then in season three, the cuss words are back because apparently they got lots of pushback from fans that wanted the cuss words and used <laughs> the cuss words in their missives to the creators <laughs> oh, gosh i guess you know, that's, that's one yeah. thing
2: though i've always liked about stuff like especially the original Battlestar star galactica where there is cursing but it's not real life curse words oh felger carb yeah, yeah. Like, the,
0: like the good place
2: <laughs> yeah same thing but you know the the fact is whether you like curse words or not that's a part of human nature right. but that doesn't mean we need to be actually slapped upside the head with the real curse words all the time
0: right
1: either yeah. And I'm know, amazed that they yeah. got frack on the air back in the 1970s with Battlestar <laughs> Galactica. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a little too close. And,
0: and I know that you know our, our European listeners and, and those from other places in the world. I mean, this is this is family. You know, every evening on the on broadcast television, TV. they get the same stuff. So I, I, I we they think of Americans as being particularly unusually prudish about certain kinds of language, and I get that. It's what we're used to, and so yeah, it, it's, it's
1: our culture. Yeah,
0: but but it, I'm not. It's just gratuitous here that's the problem is it's just thrown in for that purpose no other
1: exactly we it's it's like if you if you're used to stories of a certain kind like if i'm watching mr robot i'm gonna expect cursing yeah it would but if i'm watching star trek i'm not expecting cursing because it's it's this is an established form it obeys certain rules and to violate them for no artistic reason is off-putting yes I do. While we're diverged a little bit on this, um, my favorite all-time comic book series, The Legion of Superheroes, is set in the 31st century. And so they have 31st century cussing in it, and which is unrelated to human cussing. So it's like they'll be saying bloody Nass and Sprock and things like that. <laughs> and, and in in one, episode, in one issue, there's an interview with their science police liaison and and they're asking, did anything surprise you when you started working with all these young people in the Legion of Superheroes? And she's like, "Well, they cuss an awful lot. I mean, I know they're under a lot of stress saving the galaxy, but I was just a little surprised at how much they cuss." <laughs> That's
0: funny. <laughs> so, speaking of language, we and the next scene we have uh, Lorca being uh, interrogated and tortured by Lorel, who speaks for the first time in English, uh, and. Apparently, Mary Chifo, who plays Laurel and the dialect coach, extrapolated from the Klingon language how a Klingon's accent would sound when speaking English and wrote it all out. So they, they have all of, like, they, they really worked hard at getting the, the, the accent right in her dialogue, which I, which I, mm. I do appreciate. It, it's, it's, it shows some attention to detail. Um, and then uh, I, did, I didn't, you know, given my foreknowledge, when she asks Lorca if he knows anything about torture, I'm thinking, well, he's from the Mirror Universe, so yeah, he probably knows quite a lot about it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but she she does torture him by shining bright lights in his eyes. Um, he does and, not yell, and, there are four lights.
1: Yeah, and <laughs> and that's the significance of, which we don't know at this point, of him being so photosensitive, is that's the only significant difference between people from the Prime Universe and the Mirror Universe is people in the Mirror Universe have higher photosensitivity. Although right. we don't see that with the Empress Anything. at all. Yeah,
0: yeah. or well, any of the other sure. times people from the Mirror Universe came over. Uh, <laughs> right. So, uh, now, Saru... Oh,
1: there's also yeah. a line in here where Lorel explains the reason she knows English so well is she's from a family of spies. Yes. And that was a nice touch. And then he, Lorca, though, is needling her about her relationship with Ash Tyler. Yes. And he drops a line that I don't remember the first time I heard this or watched this, but he says, "We don't even have the right number of organs for you." And it's like, "Yeah, I'm glad they didn't explore that any further."
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure I want to know what that means. Uh so um uh, next act begins uh, back on discovery and Saru is you know wants to go to you know he they found a trail and they want to go find uh the captain But they can't because the spore drive is offline, despite him telling Burnham to stop worrying for the tardigrade. uh, She acts patronizing toward him about being a Kelpian and about his his species. And he gets, correctly, he gets angry. I mean, she doesn't have, he is the captain. She is an underling. She's supposed to obey his orders, whatever she thinks of his motivations or reasons for that, which is what got her in trouble with Georgia in the first place.
1: Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. Also, she, she hasn't closed the loop with him because by this point, they have confirmation that the tardigrade's temporal lobe is being damaged every time they jump. Right. And she didn't go to Saru and tell him that. Yes, So he's operating without that information. And instead, she's gone to engineering and is trying, this is her, be, her pattern at this point in the series, rather than reporting what she knows to the command and letting the command make the decisions, she's trying to engineer her own solution to the problem. And so she's, she's down in engineering and she, and they're trying to figure out how to do horizontal gene transfer to another species. So far, the only one they've found that can take the DNA is humans. Mm -hmm. And so of course, when, uh, I love the line, when, when she tells, uh, Saru about this in engineering and he's all in a lather because she's not kept him in the loop. He's like, eugenics experiments are forbidden. And it's like, yes, in the Star Trek universe, that's true. That should be his first Mm -hmm. thought.
0: Right, right. Uh, And that would be a a, a eugenics uh, action, you know, to to do that DNA transfer.
1: He then really freaks out on Burnham, calls her a predator, and blames her for the death of Captain Giorgio, and then confines her to quarters.
0: Right, and orders Stamets to get the tardigrade ready to do a jump. Yeah. Now, Lorica, back on the prison ship, when he gets thrown back in the cell realizes that mud had been passing information to the Klingons based on what Laurel was questioning him about in, in his torture session. Mm-hmm. And how he
1: knew that is doesn't, isn't really solid. So right. they've established that, that mud has this trained scorpion thing yeah, that is as a pet, and when um, when Lorca comes back in, he grabs the, the scorpion thing and there's a bug on the bug, <laughs> a, an electronic listening device on the scorpion thing. So he takes it off and steps on it and he concludes that mud's been passing information. And I'm like, how do you know the cell just doesn't have a bug in the in ventilation system or something? I mean, they well, could yeah. totally be listening to everything you say. They don't need mud. In they, fact, would, they wouldn't even they would. really need
2: a, a they yeah. wouldn't even need a bug in the ventilation system. They could just have one right in the middle of the. Room because it's their cell. They it's a cell. Bugs wherever they
1: want. They don't have to hide them, right? Well, but even if they wanted candid discussions, you know, they wanted people to think that they were unmonitored, so they would be more forthcoming. They could have hidden the bug anywhere. They didn't need it on this scorpion thing,
0: right? And th- and then we have uh this moment where um Tyler asks Lorca, you know, when when they tell when they say say to choose your pain, he says choose me over mud instead you know when the the klingons come in and so he does he chooses tyler so he starts getting beat up but of course it's a ruse
1: right they're they're planning on turning the tables on the klingons which they then do
0: right and uh, and so they 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 get out of the cell and leave mud behind um who yells at them
1: this is so not starfleet yes i mean they this i cannot imagine any other starfleet captain besides lorca Deliberately leaving Mud in Klingon custody, even knowing he was a traitor. I mean, if right. nothing else, this guy could be a valuable source of intelligence.
0: Picard, Kirk, you know, uh, they all would have taken him. You know, w- with yeah. yep. Um, But Mud gets the last word. He yells, "You haven't seen the last of Harcourt Fenton Mud," which we haven't, yeah. obviously. In fact,
1: Lorca slugs him before leaving him.
0: Yes. Now i, I it's interesting. You know, Klingons oh, obviously. And, yes. And
1: notice what this says about Ash Tyler. He's willing to go and leave Mud without protesting. Right. Yeah.
0: Yes. Who and Ash at this point, again is he thinks he's a Starfleet officer here, so uh they, Meanwhile they, they, va- a- they
1: vaporize lots of Klingons in the hallways.
0: That's what I was gonna point out is that they the and and, and Vok when he was Vok obviously were okay with a lot of their crew getting killed on the uh, in, in in setting up this escape. This is a, they they obviously don't value life. Um mm. now she starts a fight with Tyler. Like so Tyler gets injured, um the uh, Lorca goes ahead to prepare the way, uh, and then Laurel finds Ash, and she gets, she starts this fight with Ash and almost gets disintegrated for it.
1: Oh, why? I know, she gets hit, but yeah. it, like, it and this is her. why she's scarred in the future or, s- episodes, but right. still, she taking a huge risk because those things are set on vaporize. Yeah. And she gets hit with something set on vaporize and is lucky for reasons. reasons well, it, it, that... well, it it looked to me more like, like the bulkhead next to her got hit, and it threw
2: like the burning yeah. stuff off the bulkhead more but than.
0: But that was luck, not not design. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Like, yeah. She why is like it's it's the whole like the writers are trying to sell us; they're trying to you know mislead us into who Ash Tyler, you know, about what Ash Tyler really is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the fact is, is given what we know from the future episodes, what we know yeah. was really going on, this doesn't make sense.
1: Right. Because yeah. what this really is, this is not to get information out of Lorca about Discovery. This is to plant Ash Tyler on Discovery. Yes. That's the real purpose of all mm-hmm. this scenario the Klingons are doing.
0: Right. Uh, and then But they they're
1: g- taking insane risks in, in doing that.
0: Yes. Uh, Lorca and Tyler manage to get on board a uh, Klingon, uh, a
1: badminton ball. <laughs> they get on a board a badminton yeah. <laughs> ball and flee, and other badminton balls are chasing them.
0: Yes, but they they they've been told to let them go free because we have a tracking device that will take us to the rebel base. Yeah. Oh, I mean, they let I'm sorry. us go. <laughs> <Yeah>, that's it, <laughs> too easy. So, Saru meanwhile is back on Discovery, and he's like on the bridge. He says, calls down to Stamets and says, "Stamets, have you revived the tardigrade yet?" And Stamus doesn't say yes. He says, we're able to jump, which is a very, you know, he's yep. he, a very carefully phrased <laughs> reply. Yeah.
1: He's not answered the question. By the way, I like the fact they use the real biological term for the state the tardigrade is in. It's in cryptobiosis. Yes. Crypto is Greek for, cryptos is Greek for hidden. And so cryptobiosis is when you're in a state of hidden life. You're really alive, but that fact is hidden from observation. Right. And tardigrades do dehydrate themselves and enter cryptobiosis when they need to.
0: In fact, when, when that Israeli uh, lunar probe crashed on the moon, it was carrying uh, Earth tardigrades, like the real tiny yeah. uh, water I bear. I thought things.
1: it was Chinese.
0: Oh, Chi- yes, the Chinese one. Right, right. right. It was car- yeah. yeah, it was. Ca- um, and they're up there on the surface, yep. ready to be revived yep. if they encounter any water. So Just there, add water. There are aliens on the moon. <laughs> uh, so now, of course, another. Plot hole. Why was no one else in the spore room with Stamets? Because they're preparing to jump. So obviously, you know, we're re- getting ready to jump. Things are happening. Uh, everyone's going to be at their station, but nobody was in there with him. So kind of weird. Mm, but- I,
1: yeah, maybe. I don't know. They may. I, I kind of assume there were people. But, you know, by the time they come down there and find him, it. they I don't know.
0: Yeah. But well,
1: we just decided <laughs> we we just violated some orders. Let's get out of here.
0: Yeah, Plot. Don't yeah. So we, we know nothing. A, yes, Stamets had injected himself with the tardigrade DNA compound, and um, and, and then, that's a
1: trope of of mad scientists injecting themselves with yeah. stuff or running procedures on themselves. But it really happens in real life. Actually, that science fiction trope does occur. Yes, there was. I remember just one example. There was a famous guy who had this theory about what causes ulcers, and he said it's not what everybody thinks, it's this other thing. And so he deliberately infected himself with what he thought caused ulcers, and sure enough, he got an ulcer. Oh,
0: well, congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Um,
1: Fortunately, it meant it's also curable.
0: Right. Um, so Stamets puts himself in the board room where it jabs him in the sides and stabs him uh, pretty good. Uh, but allows him to be the key that opens the mycelial network. Uh, Saru barely admits to Burnham l- later that he was wrong about the tardigrade, and which almost got them killed and the ship captured. I mean, he he was wrong and ba- and badly <laughs> here mm-hmm. because of his yeah. It, yeah.
1: If if they hadn't if they hadn't done what they did, they probably wouldn't have gotten out of there. Right. What he does admit to, though, is he says he's angry and jealous of her, that he was never Captain Giorgio's first officer. Right. And that would have, if he had been, he would have been more prepared for what he had to do today.
0: Mm. Right. Yeah, because Burnham was supposed to be promoted, get her own ship, and then Saru would become first officer and get that opportunity and because of Burnham he was denied that opportunity. Yeah. Which is a very self centered
1: So as a, so is a <laughs> as a consolation prize Burnham gives him Captain Giorgio's crappy Amazon dot com telescope. <laughs>
0: yes. Yes, hundreds of years old. It's undoubtedly terrible. Uh, but it's a very self centered like reason.
1: Oh, it's terrible today. I mean the aperture width on that thing is is just a few inches. <laughs> no, no,
0: no, not the telescope. Saru's reasoning. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but like I'm I'm mad at you because I, I didn't get my chance. Like, um, hello, we're in a war here. We're trying to save everybody, yeah. but yeah.
1: Would have would have had your chance if we didn't get in this war.
0: <laughs> right, yeah. right. Um so he, he orders Burnham to save the tardigrade, so she and Tilly dose it with spores, they sprinkle some over it. And Tilly prays over it. Yes. Yeah, I was gonna say that. It's it's a paraphrase of Psalm one twenty one, verses yep. six and eight. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll read. I'll read what she said. May the sun and moon watch your comings and goings in the endless nights and days that are before you. Psalm one twenty one says, "The sun shall not smite you by day, nor the moon by night." Uh, and then this is the part they leave out: the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. And then again, the paraphrase is of the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. That's from the Revised Standard Version. Uh, hmm. So it's mm-hmm. a it's. They leave out the whole part about the Lord keeping you. but yeah, I don't
1: know that I hear it being similar enough to count that as a paraphrase of the same passage, but maybe there are other versions that do, that are closer.
2: Yeah, there are other versions that are, are closer, and it really is verse 8 of, you know, the sun and moon will keep your going and your coming. Right. Instead of, the Lord will keep your going and coming.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, right. It's so- still
1: it's how geocentric of us the sun and the moon really Earth's are. We're nowhere near Earth. Yeah, exactly. But
0: but it is interesting that Tilly does say a prayer over it uh, as, yeah. as they as they send it out. Um, I do like that she sprinkles the salt on it, the uh, spore salt on it. Uh, yeah, it makes it revive. <laughs> Although um, they dose it and then throw it on an airlock, where does it get the water to reconstitute itself? Because it got it got ninety it left ninety percent ninety nine percent of the water was ejected from it. Yeah, due to cryptobiosis. Anyway,
1: anyway, it bounces yeah.
0: onto the network and psh, off it goes.
1: And and Burnham had orders to save its life, not let it go.
0: <laughs> yes,
1: uh, I mean this is a huge strategic asset. At the beginning of the episode, Starfleet is all we need to find more tardigrades, and you're letting go the only one we have without authorization.
0: Right. Apparently, now that they can do the DNA thing with uh, Stamets. The
1: eugenics experiments are illegal.
0: <laughs> I know, I know, I know. It's I mean, they just play, played fast and loose with the rules here on, the, on on Discovery. And everyone just kind of does whatever they want. Um, so we, Saru and, uh, is back in the ready room uh, while Lorca is recovering. And he initiates the computer performance review back, you know, to re- reference when he wanted it to monitor his performance and cancels it before it can get into it and just says, I know what I did. You know, I, I know yeah. how I performed. I'm not sure what so that means. But
1: it, it it's a step in his self actualization. He's no longer looking to the computer to tell him how he does. He can self evaluate.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. So then the, the end of it is Stamets and Culber in their quarters revealing their relationship, um, brushing their teeth. Apparently there's no toothpaste in the twenty fourth century or twenty third century, uh, their toothbrushes do not have toothpaste. It's, it's, it's sonic, sonic, yeah,
1: yeah. And actually, toothpaste, my understanding is a bit of a scam anyway. Um, mm-hmm. My my dentist told me you actually don't need it.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, is um, I
1: mean, just the physical action of scrubbing your teeth will do what you need
0: to do. Uh huh. Well, and because we have fluoride now, water so you need yeah that too. Um, and then it ends with. Stamets walking out of the bathroom into the quarters, but his reflection stays in the mirror for a while. Uh, yeah, what is that? Which actually mean? doesn't doesn't make sense. But <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah, right. It's the rest of the whole story of what of Stamets being connected to the mycelial network that doesn't isn't explained this at all. So I don't know what that was about. But uh, so very interesting. Anyway, any uh, final notes on this episode?
1: I thought it was a pretty good episode, except for I didn't like Saru's overreaction to everything in this episode, because he's like Mr. Adamant, angry guy, and he doesn't, he should be more measured in his thinking about stuff. But I can kind of excuse that in terms of his character arc because he's this is a story about him growing as a commander, and so he needs to right. start from somewhere that he's not as polished as he will later become. So I can kind of excuse his overreaction. The other thing is, the thing that I ha- really have a hard time with, though, is releasing the Tardigrade without authorization. That's crazy.
0: Yeah. Right. Uh, because now you're dependent on on you know stabbing stamets every time you want to jump somewhere which actually you know given stamets personality might be a a reason they want to do it
1: (laughs) yeah although in that final scene he started to become the remarkably chill spore stamets that we later realize he's had a personality change that's right but because eugenics experiments are forbidden you have to presume we're not going to be using them on other ships they've told us that we're fast-tracking development of spore drives for other ships, and we need tardigrades to run them. And just because your engineer went off the reservation and gene-edited himself doesn't mean that that's going to be a permitted procedure on other ships. Right, Right. You'd still want to hang on to that tardigrade, even if it can't be used anymore because it's getting too much brain damage. You're going to want to study it, figure out its habits, figure out if there's ways to trace it so you can go on the great tardigrade hunt and get more of them.
0: Right, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I agree. I I kind of apart from the those a few holes. Um, I liked the episode. It was one of the there were there was a lot of it to enjoy as far as the first half of the first season. I know that's a lot mm-hmm. of qualifications, but uh, there, there was there was plenty in there to be interesting character development anyway, and the introduction of Ash Tyler, which who becomes a very interesting bit of uh, a ticking time bomb for the rest a dramatic ticking time bomb for the rest of the season. Oh, there's also a
1: bit of foreshadowing that went by pretty fast where in addition to having some kind of weird connection to his mirror universe self uh, through the mycelial network, Stamets also has a flash of precognition when he looks at uh, Hugh and Hugh is talking about like, you could have died. And and Stamets looks at him and says, you're going to die. Right. And that's actually mm-hmm. foreshadowing but it's said in such a way that it's not menacing. It's right. like, "Oh, well, you could have died too. Everyone's going to die." Right. yeah But knowing what happens later, it's no he's going to die soon.
0: Right. Right. Uh or not. <laughs> He'll <laughs> die, but he won't or be. not. Or, or, it yes. won't be permanent. Yeah. He got better. <laughs> I'll go for, I think I'll go for a walk. Uh, so uh <laughs> We do have a little bit of feedback I wanted to share uh, on our uh, Deep Space Nine episode where we, uh, the, we talked about Babel, uh, episode 75. Kelly Brown- Golden wrote, Window. Yep. Uh, Gold, Kelly Brown writes on Facebook, this was one of the few season one episodes that I can rewatch. And I say this as a DS9 fan. Season one had a lot of misses and few hits. You talk about one word episode titles, uh, your talk about one word episode titles remind me of a mid-90s spy series called La Femme Nikita whose first season had all one-word episode titles, second season had two-word titles, and so on through the four-year run of the show, you always knew what season the episode was by the title. Uh, and I'm thinking, yeah, Discovery didn't do that. Butcher's Knife, lamb's Cry. Yeah. Actually, you can know
2: what season it is based off the title. If it's a completely incomprehensible title, it's season <laughs> yeah. one. Yeah.
0: That's right. That's right. So thank you, Kelly, for that feedback. We appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, So we want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create The Secrets of Star Trek, including Paul L., Terry M., Yvonne R., Dennis S., and Todd H. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits our show every week. Thank you, Victor. So that's it from us. What did you think of Discovery's Choose Your Pain? Let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek, or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Media or send us an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the original series episode, Charlie X, or otherwise known as uh, we will have no faces. Till we have faces. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm Putting a little <laughs> gloss on that. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek.
1: Well, thank you, Dom.
0: And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you, and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, you haven't seen the last of Harcourt Fenton Mud.